Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program, or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, We want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is his name. This Magnificat Proclaims series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life and intercessory prayer for the needs of the church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. It is my privilege to introduce our speaker. Spiritual conversion can really change your life. Just ask Kathleen Beckman. Although a cradle Catholic, 
the more successful she was in business and the more materialistic she became, the more she pushed God out of her life. Sound familiar? Wife of 32 years, mother of two grown sons, medical assistant for 11 years, and business owner with her husband since 1984, Kathleen was in for quite a surprise. She didn't realize that her God was a jealous God and managed to get her attention in 1989. She said the merciful love of the Savior shattered my comfortable worldly existence by allowing the cross to touch my family wherein he would become the Lord of my life. Over the past 10 years, the cross has been a correction of what had become disordered in the family. Since 1989, her life dramatically changed. Kathleen became a daily communicant, coordinator of the Orange County Magnificat chapter, a Lady of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem, and a Cursaista. She was nominated Catholic Woman of the Year in the Orange Diocese for her work as president of the Lestinac Free Medical Clinic Guild. Much to her own surprise, she is also author of several books, including Praying the Passion of Christ. Kathleen shared that suffering compelled me to pray. Contemplation led me to worship, praise, and service. I found solace in Holy Mother Church. Today, we will hear about the graces that led to her conversion. Let us listen now as Kathleen Beckman shares her testimony with the Magnificat chapter in Palm Desert, California. I'm really overwhelmed to be here today. I am blessed to be able to have the privilege and opportunity to give my personal Magnificat, which is really the story of my personal Pentecost. You know, my beautiful spiritual director, when I first met him, he began to teach me. He was a, It's Father Ray. He's a Trappist monk for 17 years, so he knew a lot about prayer. And then he was called out of the um, monastery to become a diocesan priest and was the director of Curcio for 25 years in our diocese. Praise God. But he began to teach me that our church is a mother, a holy mother, and that the liturgy would form and fashion us. And when we all desire spiritual direction, the liturgy forms and fashions us. Our soul goes through seasons, and that's what has happened. The church has been guiding us through Lent and now through the Easter season, everything moving towards Pentecost, the birthday of the church, and that's where we are tonight. I think it's so beautiful that The Desert Roses invited me to be here on this very meaningful feast day. And I praise the Lord, and I hope all of you will do as Father uh, exhorted us to do, listen to your life. Right now, you're going to listen to my life, and I hope that you can relate to what I am sharing, and that will help you to have spiritual ears for what's going on in your own life. So why does Magnificat insist on personal testimony. I've thought about this often because we've invited, in 14 years of being in Orange County, we've invited many beautiful speakers who would prefer to do a a teaching, especially when it's priests. And we ask them, no, we want to hear your uh, personal testimony, please. Well, here's the scriptural basis, I believe, of what personal testimony does. It's in Revelations 12, 10, 11. Then I heard a loud voice in the heavens. Now have salvation and power come and the kingdom of God and the authority of the anointed for the accuser of the brother, that's our enemy, he's cast out. They conquered him 
They conquered the enemy, if you will, by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, the word of their testimony. Testimony, all of us are, be- are called to bear witness, aren't we? Because we keep telling the story. We keep sharing with one another, and that's how the church, the body of Christ, that's each, how each and every one of us is built up into an, a beautiful edifice, a strong edifice, and that's how the enemy is cast out. The enemy would love us to stop telling our story. He doesn't want us to pass out the history of this awesome walk with the Lord and what the Lord did. We all know as mothers and wives and the kind of spiritual battle that we have going on there. So we are one of a continuous line of witnesses, aren't we? We start just through the Gospels, and we're just continuing what the Gospel writers did. We're just continuing to tell our story. Donna shared with you my favorite scripture, love never fails. And I ask you to keep that scripture in mind as I share my testimony with you, okay? My favorite line in Magnificat is, he has looked with favor on my lowliness. That's the line I can most relate to of Our Lady. I can say to you that God has looked with favor upon my loneliness. And I echo that every single day. I'm in awe. I'm overwhelmed. God is always overwhelming me by his generosity and his goodness that is, is um, unexpected. He's the God of surprises. And it's so much more than I can ever imagine. Today, in a particular way, as I begin to share my story to you, I will echo St. Paul. I do not come with a sublimity of words or of wisdom, for I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The whole fruit of my testimony has been, because of a personal Pentecost, I was able to kiss the cross for love of God. You're going to hear a story that has a lot of the cross in it. But I want to tell you that I have learned to love the cross, and I'm not afraid to suffer, because it is a school of love. I can only say that in the power of God's love, because whatever suffering we have, it is so meaningful. It is so redemptive. It's co-redemptive. It transforms us into the image of the beloved. Now, I had a wonderful childhood. I'm the oldest of four brothers in a beautiful Catholic family, and we had Catholic education uh, through high school. And uh, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about my mother and father and the the family life we had was that we were very close-knit. We knew what it was to sacrifice for one another. We didn't have a lot of extras. So we learned the whole art of sacrificial love. And I want to share that because how quickly that changed when things changed in my life. So I had a very strong foundation from my parents for which I I praise God for them and my brothers. Um, I had a strong devotion to Our Lady. In fact, my mother just gave me a picture the other day when I was about four years old and she said I had a collection I had forgotten. Do you remember the uh, tissue paper flowers we used to make? Do you remember making those? Well, I used to have my dad, I guess, make these uh, little chapels and, and place Our Lady in, and then I would glue these little flowers all over these chapels and all around Our Lady. And so my mom gave me a picture where I had had several series of these, so I, it was like reminding me that from the very beginning, I had a devotion to Our Lady. 
Well, in sixth grade, so how old are you in sixth grade? 12 or 13 years old, a new boy came into our grade school and he was tall, dark, and handsome. And, <laughs> and he got my attention immediately. And um, he pursued me in a friendship that was, he would give me poems every day, flowers. He just was very persistent in pursuing me. And I had, this was obviously my first time having a friendship like that. And I was just kind of swept off my feet. And George and I became the best of friends. And we went on to high school together. He was so romantic that he actually, his parents sent him to another high school, but he wanted to be with me at St. Anthony's. So he went for one semester to the other school, pestered his, his family so much that he wanted to go to St. Anthony's that they switched him from St. Pius to St. Anthony's so we could be together. And our families were friends. We lived in the same neighborhood. And uh, it was just beautiful. We were high school sweethearts. I felt that I had met a prince of a man. He was Catholic, his family was Catholic. He had uh, six brothers and sisters, so it was a real family situation. I thought it was, a, it was really a beautiful gift from God. We went to um, college together, and we got married at the age of 20 with the blessing of our parents and in the church. And we had our reception at the Queen Mary in Long Beach, in the Queen's Salon. So Our Lady was always there. Um, even though our wedding gifts were stolen off the ship because it was open to the public and so anybody could walk in and we didn't guard the little section where the gifts were so some people that were walking along the ship helped themselves to it while we were dancing away in the, in the Queen's Salon. But anyway, we, we went off to our honeymoon in the Virgin Islands and we were just thrilled to begin our life together. And we had talked about having a big family and, and just it was, just seemed like an ideal situation. When we began, when we came back, we began our married life together, and both of us were really motivated to m work hard. And through good investments in real estate, um, we began to move up. And by the age in real estate, and by the time we were 30, we were living in a uh, million-dollar neighborhood. And we had the, the whole Orange County, if you will, lifestyle. Um, there were fancy cars and extravagant trips, and it was as if you know we couldn't uh, just shop at the local mall, or we would have to fly to New York to do our Christmas shopping. And it was that kind of a lifestyle. It was, it was extravagant. And I got really sucked into a lot of materialism at that time. Um, it was a time that I thought, I remember thinking, I am the luckiest person in the whole world. I could have, I have the money to buy anything I want. We can do whatever we want. Uh, George worked for his father, was a fourth generation lumber business. I was a medical assistant working for a surgeon and then George and I decided we wanted to start our own business and we did and it was very successful. Well, by the time I was 30, I had had our second son, and uh, things were good so that I was able to stay home with the children. And I adored being a stay-home mom. I just took to it. I, I went to decorating classes and cooking classes and, and shopped for cute outfits for the boys. I don't know that they ever forgive me. I was one of those moms that put them for Easter in um, tights you know, white tights and uh, <laughs> pastel shorts and things like that and just dressed them up. They were like my little dolls. I just loved that time of my life and everything seemed to be going very well. It, this is about the time that we had transferred our sons out of public school to Catholic school and we returned to the church. It was really not because 
we wanted to practice the faith. I'm honestly saying that where I was was when our seven-year-old asked us, Mom and Dad, why do we go to church on Sunday? See, they never heard us talk about God anymore in the family, but we were carting them off to church. And I said, well, just in case there is a heaven or hell, we'll have our bases covered. Can you believe that's how much my faith had deteriorated because I had really bought into the lie of the world? So we switched them over to a Catholic school, wanting the best for them because Catholic schools, there's these good education. So we thought they were going to teach. Really, the key was they taught them another language. We wanted them to learn two languages. So it was there that there was this very persistent woman that when I would drop my sons off to school, she had been to Medjugorje. I'd never heard of Medjugorje, and I really, I really didn't even care. <laughs> I thought I had it so well made in my life, it was like, well, you know, okay, that's nice. God bless her, and she's here today. She persistently pursued me. No matter what time I would drive the kids there, I couldn't miss her. It was like she would not give up. And she kept saying, you have to go to this prayer group. They prayed the 15-decade rosary together. At this point, ladies, I had forgotten how to pray the rosary. I didn't remember the mysteries of the rosary. And I hadn't prayed it since I was a little girl. And so one day she saw that I was rather resistant. And she just handed me a book by Father Rene Laurentin. I thought to myself, why would I need to pray? I have everything. <laughs> That's how selfish I was. My whole world had narrowed down to me, myself and I, and uh, my husband and my two sons. And OK, my mom and dad. But it, it was a very small world. And uh, I thought we were just all peachy. So <laughs> what would I pray for? So this book stayed unopened at my nightstand for, I want to say, almost a year. And then one day I was making the bed, and I picked it up, and I opened it just randomly in the middle of the book. And um, there was a message that Our Lady had given. And she said in that message, I want you to join a prayer group. But she said, three hours a day is not too much to pray. Please form prayer groups. So the next time that I saw Nance, I said, OK, I'll go to the prayer group. <laughs> and I went to the prayer group. And that's about when I met Miss Donna. We were both kind of coming in really within months of one another to this prayer group. Now, what fascinated me about this group was that first I would go and pray that they wouldn't ask me to lead the rosary because I didn't know the mysteries and I wasn't sure how to say the prayers anymore, okay? Then I was mystified because the people who were praying, they were talking to Jesus and Mary as if they knew them intimately. And I thought, my God and Mary are way up there and I'm going to meet them at the end of my life. And uh, certainly these people act like they're interacting and talking to them as if Mary and Jesus are right here as if they have this intimate relationship with them. I've never seen this in the Catholic Church. I was really mystified by it. So I didn't say much. I was really there. as I was, I, My plan was, I'm going to go. I'm going to observe and check it out. And then we'll see what happens. Well, I, I was driving an hour to get to that prayer meeting. And I would drive. It was like a magnet that would drive me. Every Friday night, I would go. Now, I hardly said anything at the meeting. That has changed a lot. And, <laughs> and, uh, but on the way home, something was happening where I would begin to cry all the way home. And I didn't understand it. But for a year, there were these tears and tears 
for an hour on the way home. And when I got home, George would always ask, well, what do, they, what do they say? And we would share what was going on in the prayer group. There was always these fascinating things going on in, that they would talk about. And, and, you know, he would wait up to hear what had happened at the prayer meeting. And the founding, some founding members of the prayer group are here today. Lillian and Nancy and Don is here. And so it's really beautiful to be together. And I just thank God for the way he worked through you. And... Um, Anyway, it was that one message and the witness of these people loving God and being able to pray that really touched my heart. Then a member of the prayer group said, why don't we all go to the SCRC conference? And I said, well, I didn't even know what SCRC meant. We were just going to go as a group, so we went. And um, now, at that time, I had started to have conversion because you know those tears that I talked to you about? That was really a repentance process because while I was crying over the year, what the Lord was showing me is that I had sinned. I had a prideful, self-centered life and I had become very materialistic and in many ways he was so outside of my life and he was convicting me of the sin and he was beginning to, the blinders were starting to come off and I was seeing, no, this is wrong. The way I'm living and what we've done and the way we're raising this family isn't right. And so I began to repent and now I was having that uh, conversion process and I uh, was like a sponge, okay? I didn't know anything. I really had a kindergarten, you know, faith level at that time. But, and so when I walked into the workshop at the Charismatic Renewal Conference, I, I just felt open. I was just open now. And one of my favorite scriptures of Our Lady is, let it be done unto me according to your word. That's what I felt like. When I got back to my home, things began to change. And the first thing that I noticed was, I'm not an avid reader, but I began to have an, an insatiable appetite for reading the lives of the saints. I think God is so gentle. He knows how to touch us. For a lot of people, the fruit of baptism in the Holy Spirit is an insatiable appetite for Scripture. But I think for me, the Lord knew that might be too abstract for where I was in my faith. So he wanted to give me a real concrete human experience in the lives of the saints. So as I read the lives of Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and Therese of Lisieux and Catherine of Siena and Francis of Assisi and all these awesome family of saints that we have, something happened to me. I was like driven. This was so appealing to me because this was like an all or nothing. I, something happened in reading the lives of the saints where, you know, I'm going to do this, if, or I'm going to let God do this, if you will, and it's going to be all or nothing. I'm going to say no to it or yes. So what happened, I had a deep conviction that I wanted to be a saint. This desire just welled up in me. I wanted to be a saint. I wanted to be holy. But I'm impatient, so I wanted it to happen right away. So I started reading a book. I found a book, a shortcut to being a saint. So I went to my bedroom one night and I plopped myself up and I was reading the shortcut to be a saint. I thought, I'm going to find the shortcut. And my son walked in and said, Mom, we need this, we need that. I said, can't you see? I'm reading on how to become a saint. <laughs> That's how impatient I was. But I was trying and the Lord was touching me. So um, I had a, lot, a long way to go. The other things that happened was there was a detachment from things of the world and the worldly lifestyle. Uh, we started to live more simply. 
spiritual charisms were just like popcorn popping at these prayer meetings, right? Well, then the Lord, um, I also received uh, an attraction to the love of Mass and began to go to Mass every day. And I received the gift of contemplative prayer. And this is such an incredible gift. In the beginning, when I had my conversion, I was getting back to my prayer life. I was reading prayer books, right? And other people's prayers. But in contemplative prayer, here we go with Mary's receiving again, let it be done unto me. I would sit before the Blessed Sacrament and just receive. You know, like when you sit in the sun and you're, you think you're doing nothing, but you're receiving the sunshine? Well, that's what happens when you go before the Blessed Sacrament in a holy hour. I would confess to my spiritual director, I think I'm sleeping before the tabernacle. And he would say, oh, no, you're not sleeping. The Lord is quieting the soul. There's an infused prayer, infused knowledge that's coming into the soul before the Blessed Sacrament. You're sitting before the God of hosts, and, and he's, the rays of his love are bathing you. You're not doing anything. And but you know, maybe not at that time that you've connected in prayer with the Lord, but the fruit of that is that when you walk away from that, you will find that your exhortation, your counsel, your openness to the word of God is very much uh, infused with the Holy Spirit. And you, have, you begin to sense a wisdom that comes forth from you that wasn't there before. Well, that's you being that sponge before the Blessed Sacrament. So um, I began to have a love for the church. I began to realize that she was my mother, a real mother, before she was an institution. And I really, I didn't appreciate her for anything other than the institutional hierarchy and the order that she brought. I could appreciate that. But I didn't feel that maternal, real love coming forth for the church because I really didn't have community. I had really become like a little island. Catholic, even when I went to church with the kids, I was really an island. So this prayer group, Coming into community began to be a very great gift. Um, I want to share with you how Father Hampsch describes the three stages of spiritual growth. The first stage, Father Hampsch says, is that of a water-baptized person in the state of grace. The second stage is that of a born-again Christian in an intimate relationship. So you grow into this intimate relationship, or metanoia. Sometimes when we go through Crecia or we come to a Magnificat meal, we may have a metanoia experience and come into that. The third is that of a charismatic Christian who has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and who maintains and cultivates that tremendous state of empowerment. A state of empowerment. How many of you feel empowered by the love of God? We all want more empowerment. We should always, because there's always more. God is infinite. He's the king, and he has an infinite uh, resource for us that he wants to give us, and we need to feel that empowerment. I loved what Father Barry spoke to today about our joy. That is the infallible sign of the presence of God in you is your joy. Now, as I get further on in my testimony, you're going to see how quickly one can lose one's joy and how we have to struggle to keep that joy, the joy of the Lord and the freedom that comes from it. Because what does scripture say? Um, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay. So I was, uh, our life was going very well and um, we had something come into our life that was a real cross. And that was one day we had a call that our father, George's father, who was like a father to me, because remember I was about 13 when I met him, he had been taken to St. Mary's Hospital because he had gone into our business and uh, he was 
an intruder on a robbery that was taking place there. And he tried to fight the intruders, and the two men uh, beat him, and they left him on the street in a pool of blood. They beat him about the head with a timber. And when we went to the hospital, we found that we could see him, but he was unrecognizable to us. He had been beaten so severely. And he needed a frontal lobectomy to try to save his life. And that day, he died. The frontal lobectomy wasn't able to save him. And that was the first trauma or wound that I think really came against our family. And the way we dealt with it, while I had the beginning of my conversion, and you see how grateful I was that God had began my prayer life again, um, we didn't deal with it. We didn't talk about it. The pain uh, was so deep that we just kind of buried it as a family. We, we, it was unspeakable pain. And the only thing that I think really helped me is that at that time, providentially, I was reading St. Faustina's diary, um, Divine Mercy. And I had a clue of what the Lord was calling me to in my life, the charism of intercession. When in prayer one day, he said, I want you to pray for the murderer. I want you to pray for the murderer. I knew that this wasn't me. That was humanly impossible for me. I knew that I couldn't share this with my husband or anybody in the family. They were all praying for my father-in-law. I knew that God was calling me to pray for the murderer, and I did. I think one of the examples that I had at the prayer meeting really helped me, a woman named Cassie was in that prayer group. She was a lovely lady, and she came to prayer group when we just started, and she, we would say the rosary, and she was giving her prayer intention. And one night she said, with her head bowed, she said, Dear Lord, I pray that you will send a man to help the woman that my husband is involved with. She and her son need help, Lord, so could you send someone other than my husband to help her? And what touched me was about that was that how does a person become that selfless and that loving? You know, God answered her prayer. Her husband converted, but Cassie got cancer. She was a victim soul, and she suffered. And her witness, her love, and her concern for her husband, he converted. And he, at her funeral, said she was a saint. And she was. And so seeing examples like that helped me when I heard the Lord say, I want you to pray for the murderer of your father-in-law. And I did, very quietly. Um, then a few years went by, and things seemed to be going very well. Our conversion deepened. George and I were going on pro-life marches. We were talking more. We even went on pilgrimages together. And things seemed to be going really well, even though we had not spoken anymore about the pain of that murder. I want to just share with you that in a culture where we have laws that guarantee that a woman can abort her baby, you know, it's not that far of a jump to have an increase in murder because we're not a culture of life, are we? And so we have a culture of death, and that death isn't only related to abortion or euthanasia. It's related in so many ways to the increase in violence and murders that we have um, spiritually and physically in our world, isn't it? So we need to pray uh, as an army of 
women at Soldiers for Christ for a culture of life. So I had this great security in my life. I thought God was putting everything in order. And uh, then it was the uh, New Year's Day in 1996. And my husband, I was concerned about him because he had lost 40 pounds. And he wasn't feeling well. And it was New Year's Day, and he was up in our room resting. And so I went up to check on him about midday. And what I heard from him would pierce my heart like a thousand swords. And I quote, I do not love you. I have never loved you as a man should love a woman, but rather as a brother and a sister. Our marriage was a mistake. It was so utterly shocking to me. But the power of the Holy Spirit came over me because my husband was so distraught. He was so emotionally distraught. This was so unlike him. He seemed to be coming unglued even as he shared those words. And he had lost 40 pounds. I knew he had a lot of physical infirmity. And the spirit of God that is love moved me to embrace him, moved me to share with him. And I think my first words to him were, I want to thank you for allowing me to feel that I was loved for 22 years. I want to thank you for that. And I thought, this isn't me speaking. <laughs> this is not human. This is divine love being poured upon this man. My needs didn't matter. It was his, his needs that concerned me. But in a way, it's really that scripture. In a sacramental marriage where the Lord says, a man should leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall become one. Well, those of you who are married in a sacramental marriage know what that means. You become extremely integrated with your husband, don't you? Your identity becomes integrated in him. And when we get married in that sacrament, we are to be more concerned about their salvation and their needs than my needs, right? But again, this was no doubt just a supernatural grace of God. My whole world was turned upside down. But we had an 11-year-old son. And I had to continue as if everything was normal for the sake of my son. But inside, for any of you who have ever gone through something like this, I was really dying, a, a, a thousand deaths. And I kept getting the scripture for thus says the Lord, God, the Holy One of Israel, by waiting and by calm you shall be saved. In quiet and in trust your strength lies. There was a great spiritual battle that went on inside of me. I, George and I talked, and I thought that he was going through a phase. And so I thought, well, why don't you get a place by the business and maybe stay there for a week or two? And I thought it would be like a retreat for him. And then everything would be back to normal. He just needed some time and some rest, and he would come back to normal, and everything would be normal again. So we decided, okay, he's going to rent an apartment by our business for a month. And I decided just to carry on with Christopher. But inside, this is what the war sounded like, okay? And this is where I thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit and for discernment of spirits and for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because if this had happened before that grace, I would have made a completely different decision. 
I would not have been able to stay in the will of God. I know that on my own. And that was the grace of baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is what the war sounded like. The Holy Spirit would say, do not be afraid, I am with you. But inside, I could hear the enemy saying, aren't you afraid? What shame on your family. The Spirit would tell me, forgive. And the devil would say, retaliate. The Spirit would say, let go. Let God fight for you. He will help you. And the devil would say, take control. Do something quickly. And the Spirit would say, pray and be patient. Embrace this cross. And the devil would say, protect yourself. Forget the cross. End the pain. I had barely become 40 years old. I was 42 years old when this was happening. The Spirit would say, keep your heart open to your husband. That's what I would hear in prayer. Keep loving. And the devil would say, reject him. Stop loving him. And the Spirit would say, remain faithful to your sacramental covenant. And the devil would say, find another man while you can. And that was a terrible temptation because you're, you know what it's like at mid, midlife to think it's now or never, should I make this move? The Spirit said, offer praise and gratitude for this cross. God is going to bring good out of it. And the devil said, curse God. Make yourself happy. Move on. The Spirit kept leading me, lean on the church, lean on your spiritual advisor, lean on your prayer group. And the devil kept saying, obedience is foolish. It is your personal problem. Keep it a secret. I did not speak a lot about this situation to my own mother and father. Donna alluded to how sometimes our blood family isn't who we can really deeply relate to. I had to go to my spiritual family, to my prayer group, to Magnificat. I was already the coordinator of Magnificat in Orange County then. And I was already familiar with all these beautiful testimonies of what women go through. And so I really was able to stay with the help of the support of the church, Magnificat, the, the community. I was able to stay in the spirit. But pain, unspeakable pain, was in my heart. And I had to constantly, my life of prayer was such that I would take our son to school and I would go right to Mass and I would remain there for hours. Because, see, what I did was, instead of looking for that human answer, I was looking for some divine answer. I knew that God was with me now, and he was going to direct me. Only God knew what was best. I didn't know what was best for George and I. And so he also gave me to understand something about this cross. It was a gift because I had to die to myself. I was too much in control. In prayer, I was hearing... No more Kathleen, only Jesus. No more Kathleen, only Jesus. See, a transformation takes place when we kiss the cross. We all suffer. I know all of you know what it's like to suffer at some level. And deep suffering like this is extremely painful. And, but the grace of God takes us through it. And in that, there's a transformation that takes place, and I become more like Jesus. In discerning what was God calling me to do, in every instance, he was saying, be the intercessor for your husband. Be the intercessor for your children. And be Jesus for them. And you know, he gave me the grace. I never spoke ill to my husband. I didn't make a judgment against him. I didn't speak uh, poorly of him to my children. 
I wanted them to love and revere their father. I knew him to be a good man. So God gave the grace to stand guard against my tongue. Now, I needed to die to my pride and to my control. I needed to be broken down. I needed to be brought low. You know, when we're going through that, we don't appreciate it. But God is working. Father mentioned it. You know, he is working and he's teaching us at every instance of our life. And I don't think that he's teaching us as deeply at any time of our life as when we are suffering. When he pulls us up and says, now I'm going to put you on the cross. God is so preoccupied with our salvation there's a hierarchy in God's order, and he's so preoccupied with our salvation that he's going to allow in our lives what needs to take place so that we are with him forever. He's concerned about our salvation. I heard a priest once say, God doesn't give you the husband that you want. He gives you the husband that you need to get to heaven. Now, that means I had to die to all my dreams of the way my life was going to be with my husband, didn't I? Nobody had dreamed it would be like this. When you get married, it's a fairy tale. It's a, your, your high school sweetheart, and your life had been what it was. I mean, this is the opposite dream that I had had. But God knew that if it had persisted in that way, I might not make it home to him. I might be lost eternally. God loves my husband and my children and I so much that he wants all of us to be eternally happy with him. I came into the understanding of, you know, the cross is a great gift. It's a correction of the disorder in our lives. It hurts, but it's just like any kind of correction that we do. As many of us are parents, we know correction has to take place for the good of the person. God was correcting all the disorder in my life and putting it in order. He gave me to understand something that I want to read with you. I'm going to read it very slowly. It's John Paul II. John Paul II says that the feminine heart, this is in The Mother of the Redeemer. He said this about the feminine heart. This is all of you. You have this heart, the heart of Our Lady, that says, it can be said that women, by looking to Mary, find in her the secret of living their femininity. We're talking about an authentic femininity with dignity and of achieving their own true advancement in the light of Mary, in the light of Mary. So the church sees in the face of women the reflection of a beauty that mirrors the loftiest sentiments of which the human heart is capable. You know, the human heart, my dear friends, we are capable of much more than we can even imagine. And he gives us the grace to be capable of very lofty things, of becoming saints. That's what all of us want to be, right? We all want to be holy. We all want to be saints. That's what this is about. So the woman knows the self-offering totality of love. And the woman can have strength that is capable of the greatest sorrows. Think of Our Lady. We all saw the movie The Passion. How can we relate to the sorrow of Our Lady, the sorrowful mother? And but we're capable of great sorrows and of limitless fidelity and tireless devotion to work. Almost every woman that I know would give their life for their husband and their children. We lay down our lives, don't we, as in the feminine ideal. Not only as wife and mother, but we lay down our lives for others. Greater love than this no one has. Women have 
a tremendous intuitive nature. And we combine that with words of support and encouragement, which is really what Mary and Elizabeth are about in the Magnificat and what we are about as we try to imitate Mary and Elizabeth in helping one another. This is why Magnificat became a great support for me because right when I would feel I was coming to the end of my rope, I would come to a Magnificat meal and hear many, many women have stories like this. And in the 14 years I've been doing ministry more publicly, I can tell you, I want to say one out of every two women have stories of situations like this. I want to share with you just a couple things um, how I got through those years, because I went through the normal phase of denial, of anger, times when I had terrible thoughts of suicide, when things seemed really hopeless. And you know what? I'm so glad God allowed it, because now when I pray with women, I just had a call of a woman the other day. She was in that same place where I was, where she was despondent. She had been beaten down. Her husband had left her. Her son was suicidal. And I could relate to her in an instant. She had captured my heart. I knew what she was going through. What did I do during that time? I prayed. And I had good spiritual direction. I had community. But also, I journaled. The idea of journaling really comes to us through St. Ignatian exercises. St. Ignatius carried a journal around with him, and he wrote in his journal what works and what doesn't work. That's where he gives the church the whole um, teaching of consolation and desolation. And so journaling, not only in a secular level does it get your pain outside, but journaling is a way to get it outside, but also you have to stop in the journaling and enter into dialogue with God. You know, God is so good. He is love, right? What does love do? It, it communicates. He communicates. So God wants that interior dialogue. The trouble is that we have to be quiet enough to receive it. Again, let it be done unto me according to your word. So I, through the instruction of my spiritual advisor, was able to listen and to hear his voice. And he would say, do this, do that, go this way, go that way. And I had the spiritual director and the community to help me. Am I on the right track? Finally, I, for about five years, lost my joy completely. I was plowing through every day, plowing through this cross, learning, but my joy was not there. I was in so much sorrow, if you will. I finally did what everyone had been telling me to do from the beginning, let go, let God. Stop trying to figure out, are you going to get back together? Are you not going to get back together? What is this going to look like? Is it going to be the way it was? And going through all of that, I just let it go. I got into a place of such sadness that I had to let it go. What happened then? My joy returned. And there were times, my dear friends, in this, it's been 11 years. I still don't know how it's going to end. I see that my husband has transformed a lot. He's coming back to his self, if you will. And we are very good friends. We are still separated, not even legally. We still hold business together. He's still there for me and our sons. And so it's just kind of in this state. And I don't know if it's going to always stay like this or if it's going to change. St. Ignatius talks about how we must move into a holy indifference. I don't know the answer to that, but I know that God knows, and I'm just going to enjoy every day of life in the meantime. I'm not going to put my life on hold until that's resolved. When people ask me to give my testimony, that's what I used to say. When they asked me initially, I said, oh, I can't give my testimony. I don't know how it ends. How would I end it? And that's where they said, well, you have to share that we don't get to know the end sometimes, do we? We just keep plugging along, and the joy of the Lord has returned. And I can tell you, there were days 
that were so dark, but there were days in which, in the midst of that suffering, my feet did not touch the ground. I felt so taken up by the love of God, so full of joy, so loved by my Abba Father, so loved by Jesus, my real perfect bridegroom, so loved by the Holy Spirit. We all need to love and be loved. And the human love that we desire is and have is so imperfect. No matter how wonderful the relationship is, the human love is imperfect, isn't it? No one loves us ideally. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love us ideally. The Word of God just always is telling us He loves you, but you have to have that experiential knowledge of God's love. And let's everybody stand up. And we're going to pray for one another. Oh, Lord Jesus, you taught us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray for one another right now on this vigil of Pentecost. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to fall afresh upon each and every one of us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to anoint our lives, to set our hearts on fire. We ask you to touch our minds and conform our mind to your mind, Lord Jesus. We ask you for the grace to forgive all of those who have hurt us. Some of us have deep, deep pains, Lord Jesus, that we can't let go of. We ask today that you let us let it go. Let it go, Lord Jesus. Take it, Holy Spirit, to the Father. Burn it up in the fire of your divine love. You are the God of miracles, and nothing is impossible with you. We want to give you our history. We want to put it away now. We want to come to new life. We want to flower like beautiful flowers before you, fragrant. We ask for the grace, the fragrance of holiness to come upon us. We ask, Lord, for a deep prayer life, for a hunger and thirst for your word, that we would pray as never before. We ask you to help us to be more like Mary, to take up the rosary breeds with great faith that we believe that what we pray for will be answered. We pray, Holy Spirit, on this great feast of our birthday of the church, set our lives on fire. We pray for gifts of healing. Lord Jesus, let it be done unto me according to your word. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen and alleluia. Well, ladies, I think we've experienced a new Pentecost today. And you know what, ladies? And you'll hear me say this over and over again. No matter where we are in our journey, God wants to only take us deeper. Okay? And don't forget that. No matter where you are, he only wants to be more intimate with you. As if you were the only person in the world. And I just want to thank Kathy because, you know, it's not easy giving testimony. That's also a gift, that, that yes, that fiat. Oh. Well, we certainly hope you have enjoyed the program. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again... Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, zip code 92859. And for some of you, it might be easier to call. So feel free to call us at 800-500-4556. If you would like to have more information about the Magnificat Ministry, including a location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, you can call 504-828-MARY. That's 
Mary. Or visit the Magnificat website at www.magnificat-ministry.org. Let us lift our hearts in prayer as we share the beautiful prayer from uh, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world. On behalf of Magnifica Proclaims, this is Donna Ross inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in His peace.